I am David, musician, poet, king. In my youth, I killed Goliath. As a young man, I was a fugitive, pursued by the crazed ruler Saul. My people battled to unite our homeland, and when the house of Saul collapsed, I began a 40-year reign. As king, I fought many wars. Some were for the glory of God, others were regrettably personal. Despite my mistakes, the Lord protected my subjects and me in every challenge. As I reflect on my career, it's clear that God's most providential gift was in the people he sent to serve me, particularly my 37 mighty men. These great warriors defied the odds to repeatedly snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Their achievements are now the stuff of legend. On one occasion, the evil Philistines attacked us in a tribal territory called Ephesdemim, known to the locals as the Border of Blood. The savages were armed to the teeth and mocked us with such confidence that scores of my soldiers fled to the hills, leaving us grossly outnumbered. Thinking we would surely lose, I prayed for a miracle. The miracle appeared in the form of a man named Eleazar. He was the son of Dodai, a great and devoted judge, and Eleazar certainly made his father proud that day. You see, Eleazar had something that many soldiers lack. He had vision, an unwavering image of a world free of Philistine rule, unburdened by the abuse and tyranny of warmongers. Armed with this vision and a single sword, My remarkable officer threw aside his safety and sprinted to the front lines directly into the teeth of the assault. The enemy unleashed soldier after soldier after soldier. After each warrior struck at him with blade, spear, and shield, Eliezer dispatched him. Hour after grueling hour, he waged a personal war on this onslaught of the Philistines' best fighters. When the final Philistine was slain, Eliezer collapsed in exhaustion and moved to stow his blood-stained sword in its sheath but the weapon wouldn't release his cramped hand muscles were frozen to the hilt even after the battle was over as helpers arrived to clean away the bodies i watched my loyal servant hike wearily to his tent still clutching the sword of victory eliezer was a mighty man a man of vision Good morning. Today we're going to talk about being lion-hearted and how to bring courage into our life and how to have a vision for an other-centered life. As you heard earlier, David, King David had 37 mighty men. Within that 37 mighty men, there were three in particular that really stood out. But when David began to organize this group of men, they were drawn to him for who he was. And it wasn't just a vision like I'm going to one day be king that drew them to him. They were drawn to who he was. And it's not because he was perfect. In fact, David was a scoundrel as we learned last week. He had a temper problem, he had a lust problem, just everything that anyone ever struggled with, David struggled with. And yet, men were drawn to him because in the middle of that struggle, he was honest and real 
And he spoke about a God who found you when you were struggling with anger. A God who worked with you when you were working on lust. David was becoming a better version of himself because of the God of grace he followed. And that brought so many people into the fold. Men were drawn to this warrior because of the warrior God, the humble warrior God that he followed. Have you ever had someone in your life that you'd say, well, it's not just the mission statement of the company. It's not just the vision statement of the company. Everybody's got that. But you meet somebody that say, I want to be like that person. They've become someone you'd like to find out how you can become the best version of yourself. I'll tell you a version of that. A story of that was a guy named Mike Zell. Mike was a Green Beret. One day they were running training and they're like, get the body, get the body, pull him into the MV. And they were running training as if this man had had a, a, a gash into his chest. Come on, we got to get the, the paramedics. And they drag him into the MV and they're running the drill. They're getting everything together. Just drill after drill after drill. We've got to make sure in case this is a real thing, we're ready to go. Mike was a man of faith, a Christian, and a Green Beret. He loved making himself accessible. So even after the training was done and they're back from war, he'd often keep his door open in case anyone needed to step in. One day, one of his men and wives stepped in and asked if they could have a little marriage counseling with him because he was also the chaplain. He said, sure. They came in. He said, I want to be available to help my men in whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're going through. As they began to talk, he recognized that this man and his wife were a little intimidated by his rank. So he paused for a second. He said, wait, guys, let me do something. He took his rank off and he handed it to them and said, listen, for the next hour, I work for you. And they were struck that someone with a high rank would hand them their rank because he wanted them to know that he was there to serve them, not to be served by them. And he would say that that feeling, that expression, that commitment came from his commitment to his God, the God of the Bible, a God who came to serve, not to be served. Have you met someone like that? A neighbor, a friend, a father, a grandfather, a boss, a coach? There was something about them. They had a vision of who you could become if you just stayed near them and emulated what they emulated. So that's what we're going to look at today with Eleazar. I think all of us long for a vision of who we can be, not just what we can do. It's nice to do stuff, but I don't want to be just someone who does something, a machine that does something. I want to become someone. And I want a vision for who I can become. And the Bible offers a vision of who you can become. And when you become that person, the best version of yourself, it's because you experience the grace and forgiveness and strengthening and the resources that come from the God that David knew that his men saw in him. So I want to give you three aspects to developing a grander vision for your life. The first vision is this. We all long for and need a vision of something bigger than ourselves. We want to live for something bigger than ourselves. Living for yourself will last for a while, but it will quickly be short-lived. We want a vision of doing something and being part of something that's bigger than just me and upgrading me. I'm part of a larger story. And David has 37 mighty men, but today I want to talk about two, just to differentiate between two, before we get to Eleazar. So here's the two mighty men we're going to be introduced to. One of them is Eleazar. His hand is going to be so cramped from battle, so muscle tighten from all of the battling and defending he did he can't get the muscles to release to let go of the sword after this battle 
We're also going to be introduced to a man named Joseph Beshebeth, who's the chief of captains, who took on 800 men at once. I mean, these are mighty warriors. Here's how the Bible tells the story. King David eventually makes these his captains in command. But it says here in the Bible that there were the names of the mighty men who David had. Joseph Beshebeth, chief among the captains, he was called Adonai the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. After him was Eleazar, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. He arose and tacked the Philistines under his hand until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. So a little bit about the Philistines. The Philistines were just ancient terrorists. They would come in, steal your wives, steal your daughters, wait until harvest time, steal all your crops, leaving you abandoned with no food for the coming months. And for 350, 400 years during the time of Judges, there's these reoccurring battles with the Philistines that continues into David's reign. And everyone was terrified, terrified of what the Philistines had done and would do. Who would step up to battle? Who would have a vision that they could be the courageous ones that would serve other people by defending the innocent from these ancient terrorists? Eleazar was one who was so committed to a vision of a world without Philistines ruling and terrorizing the innocent that he was willing to fight until his hand was frozen and stuck to the sword. But here's what he found. This wasn't just a vision of how can I eventually be David's chief of command. This wasn't just a bigger title or a bigger territory. He connected his skills as a warrior to the grander vision of serving other people, rescuing other people, serving other people. You see, that grander vision we all long for, it has to be something eternal. So I don't know if I believe that. Well, then I would just say try anything temporal. Get the biggest title you've ever imagined and you'll get it and you'll enjoy it for maybe a week, maybe a year. And then you'll think to yourself, is that it? Is that it? Get everybody to like you. And it's like acceptance and fame is so short-lived and it doesn't fully and finally satisfy. The vision that your soul longs for is something bigger than yourself. What is God doing in the world and how can I connect to that? And even Eleazar, with all of his battling and all of his skills, the the passage goes on to say, but the Lord brought about the victory on that day. What are you talking about? He's the one doing the battling. Yes, he was using his skills, using his training, but it was God, the Lord, that brought about the victory. It even reiterates that later. So the Lord brought about a great victory. See, the secret to his success, the secret to him finding meaning and purpose and vision is he connected his story to the grander vision of something eternal. He connected it to God. And if you're not connected to God, you'll, you'll have temporary happiness, but ultimately it won't fully and finally satisfy. Worse than that, the things that you turn into God that aren't God will actually distort you into something you don't want to be more often than not. Several years ago in the New York Times, there was an editorial as a New York paper called, I think, The Voice, where she describes some of her famous friends who committed themselves to a grander vision that was all about themselves. Here's what the writer says in The Village Voice. I pity celebrities, Sylvester, Bruce, and Barbara, were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and giggles merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. I thought that fame would work. I thought if I got that title, it would work. And you're like, it, 
doesn't. And I feel more despair. She goes on. You see, Sly and Bruce and Barbara wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. And the morning after each one of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that something was going to make everything okay, it was going to make their lives bearable, it was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, it happened. And they were still them. And the disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. That get the most money you want, get the most status you can find, make yourself as beautiful as you can. And you're still not going to become the best version of yourself because all of that was just about yourself. You need to actually attach yourself to something bigger and grander and eternal that your soul was designed for. You need more wisdom than just you have, more patience than you can conjure up, more compassion than you have the reservoir for. You need to tap into something greater that the Lord could bring about victory in your life. I have a friend of mine who's a CEO, very, very resourceful. He's got a lot, a lot of energy, a lot, a lot of networking, a lot, a lot of social capital. I was talking to him uh, this week. He said, you know what I've learned over the last couple of years? I'm becoming the best version of myself. And I've noticed just a lot of incredible changes. Changes that typically take like 10 years. I'm seeing happen like week after week, month after month. I said, what's the secret? He said, I have learned that my whole life I could be pretty self-sufficient. But I've been put in circumstances that I can't be self-sufficient. I'm having to be God-sufficient. And it's actually in the moments that I'm out of resources, that I can't just manage everything on my own, I'm having to call out to God in ways I never have before. And it's beginning to transform me into the best version of myself. It's pretty amazing coming from him. I was reading the story of Jason Weave. Jason Weave is the uh, voice of uh, Simba in the original Lion King. What's amazing is that he was negotiating his deal with Disney, and Aladdin had just come out and did very well, and, and this was his first big break, and so the, the agent came back and said, Disney's offering you $2 million. Wow, I'm going to take it. Like, what kind of an idiot would turn down $2 million? And he heads home and uh, going to sign the contract, and his mom is like, whoa. Does that come with royalties? No, no, there's no royalties. I really think you should renegotiate for royalties. Mom, this is $2 million. Well, let's see. So the agent comes back and says, Well, Disney's offered you a hundred grand with royalties instead of the two million. And he's like, Oh my goodness, no way. At his age, this was like the, the end all. This is no way. But somebody older than him, somebody with more experience than him, spoke into his life and said, Trust me. And he did. Got that check for hundred grand and just felt like, oh, so painful. This could have been two million. Then weeks went by and months went by and years went by and far more than two million dollars came in from all the royalties from Disney's Lion King. And he was so thankful he had someone outside of himself with wisdom he didn't have, with a perspective he didn't have to speak into his life. God wants to be that voice for you to tie you to a grander vision. The second thing we need for grander vision is, do you have a vision worth suffering for? A lot of us have things worth finding pleasure in, but is there something so compelling you've found to give your life to that you're willing to suffer for it? You're willing to go through pain for it? 
You're willing to, even if you don't get all the credit or people don't notice, you're so committed to this is making me become the best version of myself and this is something I want to do with my life that I'm willing to suffer for. Do you have anything in your life worth suffering for? Eleazar did. And it was a world where God would help bring victory over the Philistines. See, after them, Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aphrodite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and everyone else, all the men of Israel retreated. I mean, can you imagine? You're Eleazar. Let's go. We're going to battle. Run away. Run away. Run away. And you're like the only one there holding the sword. We increasingly live in a culture that's committed to running toward comfort, running toward ease, running toward what's convenient. What will make us as a people run toward battle, run toward fire, run toward difficult circumstances, run toward problems that are going to make our life not we're going to get credit for it, we're not going to get a trophy for it. We're there just to help and even suffer for the sake of that vision. We don't have a culture that's training us to suffer well. In fact, I'd like you to hear a story uh, of someone who's kind of been in training his whole career on that. What does it mean to run into battle like Eleazar rather than running away from battle? So can we give a warm horizon welcome to my friend Mike? Mike, come on up. Hello. Hey, Mike. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you work for the uh, Anderson Fire Department. Yes, sir. And what is it that, as you're training, as you think about why you want to grow up and do this, you know, people are running away from fires and you're going to be running into fires, um, what gave you that vision for not only serving others but running toward danger? Okay. Um, there's a couple of things to our training, and our, I, I take a lot of pride and in, in drive into knowing that there are people out there that are someday going to call on us and they're going to be in a great time of need. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, to be able to be that person to go there, regardless of the dangers and being aware of those dangers, um, it's a pretty honorable position to be in. And that's where I think that vision of going towards the danger comes from within. You kind of look past all the dangers that you're seeing as you're pulling up, and you're going, this is what I have to do. And you told me a lot of what you do is not just even the fire, it's actually the medical training you went through, because you're helping a lot more people in medical situations where, like, you know, most people are like, what do we do? Call the, you know, call the fire department, call the police. Correct. And you're the person they call. Absolutely. So a lot of times it could be car wrecks, could be heart attacks, strokes, um, just people that feel sick. Uh, but a lot of times, we, you know, we get there and we're able to provide these services for people uh, who really need them, uh, who don't know who else to call. Uh, maybe it's just help getting up off the floor. It could be as simple as that. Hmm. But... To be the person that they call, you know, you take a lot of pride in that. And what, uh, what shaped you? Like what sort of voices? I talked about for the David's Mighty Men, it was David and, and his influence. You, you told me earlier that it was your grandfather and his influence in your life that became a shaping mechanism for who you wanted to be. Talk about your grandfather. Yeah, so my grandfather, he was uh, a mentor to me. I spent a lot of time with him as I was younger and even still, still now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really kind of showed me what it meant to take care of your family. Mm. and to uh, take pride in what you do. Mm. And uh, he just always seemed strong. He was about, you know, caring for everybody, making mm. sure you treat people with respect. Mm. And I actually have his uh, initials here on my radio strap just so I can keep that with me all the time. <clears throat> and you said you would often uh, wake up in the morning and find your grandpa reading his Bible. That was a huge part yep. of his. Yep, he would get up in the morning and he would put his boots on to go to work and he'd be eating his cereal and he'd read his Bible verses and he'd talk to me. And uh, I always kind of cherish that right there, that moment mm-hmm. in the morning before he would go to work. That was mm. something that I feel like I took a lot from that as a person. Sure. So you said that, you know, kind of that, that, that love of running into danger you found inside yourself. 
But a lot of us would say, I'm not sure it's inside me. It actually traces back to really a grandfather who who built that into you or harnessed yeah. something that God put in you from the very yeah, beginning. Yeah, it showed me that I could kind of give myself more and help other people uh-huh. who maybe necessarily couldn't help themselves. And I, I really enjoy that, to be able to be that person that somebody could be. Mm. I think a lot of firefighters kind of feel the same way. Mm. It's kind of, you hit some mindset. And what, what ha- like, you come to a burning fire, what's kind of the, the procedure to figure out where everybody's at and what I need to do? What, what happens when you come to a burning fire? So there's lots of things going on all at one time. I mean, there's potential dangers or hazards. You can have power lines being down. You could have multiple le- levels of a building. Um, you know, there could be fire coming out multiple sides of this building. There could be people inside. So a lot of times we're, we're going through this process of narrowing down really, really quickly. Hmm. Are there people inside? Is the power still on? What hazards are here? And hmm. what you don't want to do is you don't want to just get focused in on one thing like, oh, no, the power lines are in the yard. doesn't mean that you can't forget about the people inside of that building. You have sure. to uh, deal with the power lines, but you also have to get the people out, and you have to be able to do all these things at once and just be really hmm. hyper-focused is what I would call that. And what are some of your tools? Eliezer obviously had his sword. Uh, what do you have yeah. when you're facing danger? So, of course, we have our turnout gear, which is uh, what we're going to wear anytime we go into a fire. Is uh, It's not fireproof. But it is fire resistant, um, so under direct flame, it would essentially catch on fire. Um, so we have that. We but you have... can quickly move through a fire. And you'd be yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we're not. Yeah, we're not standing there directly in the fire. Uh-huh. That's for sure. Uh, obviously, our helmet and stuff like that. We have. Uh, this is what we call a iron set. So not only are we uh-huh. carrying all of our gear, you want to. How much? How much does that weigh? It's probably about twenty oh, wow. to thirty pounds. Wow. Uh, that's a set. So one of your crew members will take the axe. The other crew member will take the halligan. So if we were to come up to a, a fire scene, uh, and like as you're saying, what are the things we we're going to see? We may get there. There's people inside. It's nighttime. Their doors are locked. Hmm. So we're going to use these tools here to help us force entry into the home. Wow. So between that and uh, your, your air pack and everything that you carry with you. Um, and you mentioned you've got like two, like, like with scuba diving, you've got two aspects so you can put on somebody else or a firefighter who yep. loses oxygen or... So when we're in the building, we'll oftentimes we'll wear this mask, it'll go over our face, pull a hood up and over, um, and that will hook into our regulator here. Huh. So we're actually breathing out of this air tank that's on the back here, it's about a 45 minute bottle, and that's 45 minutes if you're just standing still. So the harder you work, the quicker that bottle goes away. Wow. The uh, hose that we carry, this is for pretty much self-rescue and... For, for firefighter use only. So what we would have is if we have a firefighter go interior on a fire and he gets trapped and he's low on air and I'm his partner and he's calling to me and saying, hey, I'm here, this is where I'm at and I still have plenty of air left in my bottle, I can actually hook from my tank into his and we can split. So huh. he's going to get half of what I have left. And what, of all the tools you have, you said like 60, 70 pounds of stuff you're carrying with you with everything? Yeah, it's about, I would say 60, 70 pounds and then you know, depending on what you're carrying, if you have a hose line with you, you know, that's a charged mm-hmm. hose line full of water that's going all the way back to your truck. Sure. It's a lot of work to pull that mm-hmm. um, if you're carrying a set of irons or an axe or a pike pole. So there's just a lot of different equipment that you can actually, you know, bring in. And it just depends. But uh, probably 60 to 70 pounds, yeah. And what's, uh, if you think about all the things you've done, uh, what's the most rewarding part of your job? The most rewarding part is the fact that every day I go to work and people call me and and other firemen and you just get to be there and you get to help you know that you know when somebody's really in need and you can look at them and see that they need help and you have the training mm-hmm. to help them yeah that's what's rewarding for me because awesome. i get to be that person can we thank mike for being with us today mike thank you for your service thank, thank you, for you. Here. really appreciate it
And what I love about that is whether it's a fireman, whether it's Eleazar in the armed forces, what does it look like for you and I to have a vision for serving other people? That's really what, what Mike talks about. There's something about serving other people, using my training, using my skills, using my opportunities to serve others. In fact, maybe you've seen the flow chart before. I mean, are you currently challenging yourself with something bigger than yourself? If you've not seen the flow channel before, it's a very simple concept. It's that increasingly we're going to have challenges in our life from low to high. And there's also a sense in which there's skills that need to be developed. And the perfect balance of finding out and growing and becoming the best version of yourself is making sure as the challenge goes up, your skills go up, and you're in the flow. And you can feel that flow channel of, wow, this is challenging, but it's, it's challenged me to do new things and not to, not to coast and not to, not to become sluggardish in my career or in my life, right? But I want to challenge you, if you've never seen this before, Sometimes your anxiety level is so high because you're not developing the skills needed to put yourself in the flow, and you can feel you're overwhelmed right now by life, by your career, etc. And, and if you're in that anxious point, it might be that God's trying to give you some skills you've never thought about before, tapping into Him as a resource, developing actual career skills, but also spiritual skills, connection to God, connection to faith, connection to courage, connection to an otherworldness. Other times... We got lots of skills. We're very accomplished. We've done a lot of things. We've developed a lot of skills, but we're bored. We're thinking about retiring at 50. I talked to a friend of mine recently who'd retired at 50. He said, people ask me all the time, what's it like? You retired at 50. He's like, and I tell him two things. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, right? He says, here's the two things about retiring at 50. He said, number one, the days are long. <laughs> and number two, my pool is clean. He said, you know what? I'm bored. When the best thing you have going on at lunch is talking about what you're going to do for dinner, there's not enough challenge in your life. Are you challenging yourself to take on things, to use the skills and talents and opportunities you've been given to serve a grander vision? And not just to get to a place you don't have to do anything, where you want to do things that really matter. And God, you maybe need to ask God to up the challenge in your life because you're bored. Or to say, God, I need to learn how to depend on you and develop some skills. I want to get in that flow where when I'm doing this and when I'm serving, I feel I'm in just the right spot at just the right time. And that's where Eleazar found himself as he came face to face with the Philistines. That's what it says. He arose when everybody else ran away. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. This is when you're in the flow. You are working. You are serving. And you're like, you know what? I am tired, but I am in the flow. This is what I was made to do. I'm making a difference. And I am worn out, but I am worn out doing things that matter. And his hand was worn out. And there it is again. It stuck to the sword. Man, I've been swinging this thing so long. But again, in the middle of his work, and it was the Lord that provided victory, a great victory that day in battle. Now, the Philistines are not some fictitious people, like, you know, the dwarves or the giants in the Lord of the Rings. These are real people who lived in history. In fact, there's been some archaeological finds, like you see on the screen here, the Ekron Royal Dedication Inscription that actually shows that these Philistines, known as the Sea People, lived, and they were tyrants. They didn't just fight the Israelites for centuries, they actually fought the Egyptians as well. In fact, there are several places on the Egyptian walls that show incredible battles between Egypt and the, the sea people, as they called them. They actually have some paintings of what they said the Philistines looked like, as you see up there on the screen. 
And so you step into the Bible, you're not stepping into Aesop's fables, you're stepping into history. These are real people in history who did incredible things to transform the world when they got in the flow with God. If you've never studied the Philistines and the story of how God works, you may not realize we have two different services. Our exploring service at 10, 11, 10, and a 100% different service at 850. I'm actually teaching about the Philistines right now. We're going way back in time to about 1500 BC. And we're studying the book of Samuel verse by verse through the Bible. Two weeks ago, we talked about developing a grieving heart and what it was like for living in the time of the Philistines for, for Hannah to, to grieve the fact that she couldn't have children. How do, you, how do you handle a grieving heart when God's not answering prayer? Just about an hour ago, I talked about how to develop a thankful heart in the midst of the Philistines battling all around them and how Hannah and Elkanah were able to reach out and be thankful to God in the middle of their difficult circumstances. So if you've never come to our equipping service, now you can watch it online on our app. We got the glitch worked out on the video, by the way, if you had that issue this week. You can send those services, watch those services, come at 8.50 on a Sunday or come at 4.30 on a Saturday. If you just want to have another dose of spiritual skill set to set you up for what you need to be to take on the challenges before you. In fact, our vision is to comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. That's our vision. We love, we get up every day putting on two different services, four services, because we want to help people find the right environment to help them grow. To find a vision of who you are, not just what you do. To find something worth suffering for. But the last aspect of our vision goes back to that who. God is more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. Do you have a vision for the who? See, the message of the Bible is pretty amazing. It's about a God who came to earth, sacrificed for you, ran toward the flame for you to battle for you. Many of you know who Jimmy Stewart is, right? Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life. You know. You want the moon, Mary? You want the moon? Well, throw a lasso around that thing and pull it down here. Yeah, I can swallow it. Little little moonbeams coming out of your eyeballs. I like that. My brother Harry went to war. Remember Jimmy Stewart? What you may know him from is, is from It's a Wonderful Life. But before that movie did well, it did very, very poorly. But years before that, Jimmy Stewart was a star. Star from his role in the Philadelphia story. He did incredibly well in that movie. Peak of his career, lots of awards, lots of acclimates, things going incredibly well. And then we went to war in World War II. And he tried to enlist in the army. He had a comfortable life. He had an easy life. But he wanted to serve and fight for other people. So Jimmy Stewart tried tried to enlist in the army and they rejected him because he was too skinny. So he got together and started putting on some weight. And he re-enlisted in the Air Force. And they took him. He had 400 hours as a a pilot. As a commercial pilot. As a private pilot, rather. And so they put him in the States training pilots. He's like, no, 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 no. I didn't get into this so that I could train people in the safety of my own home. I want to be on the front lines. But the Air Force didn't want the news to come out that Jimmy Stewart... Hollywood actor had died in service, but he pushed and pushed and pushed until finally they put him on the front lines. They sent him over to London, where he was in charge of bomber raids. 
And instead of just being in charge of bomber raids and sending everybody else, he scheduled himself on almost every single bombing raid. He would get medal after medal after medal after medal. When he returned from World War II, he had severe PTSD. A combination of the explosions, the fights in the sky, and seeing some of his friends falling through the air around him. He came back and he thought his career was over, his life was over. And there was this kind of no-name movie. They needed someone to play a suicidal father named George Bailey. And he took the part. And several accounts say that some of our favorite moments of emotion in that movie is not Jimmy Stewart acting. It's him experiencing PTSD on film. There was somebody who could have lived an easy life, but he chose to go to the battle lines. He chose to hold his sword to fight for the freedom of others and to take on evil and to put himself in harm's way for you and I. And that's the story of the God of the Bible. He didn't watch from a distance and say, here's the Ten Commandments, good luck. No, he came to earth as a human being. And he came in the most ruthless time in history, the time of Rome. He could have come a time when lethal injection was the order of the day. Instead, it was a time of crucifixion. But God wanted to come into the battle lines for you and I to serve us, to care for us, to look out for us, to fight for us, and to battle for us so that we'd be so overwhelmed with what he had done for us. Like, I need to know a God like that. There's plenty of Egyptians' gods that want us to serve him, plenty of Greek gods that want the people to serve the gods. This is a God who comes to serve us and to put himself in harm's way. It's when you meet the God of the Bible, you're like, ah, I don't know if I believe everything about the Bible. I'm not sure if I even think that book's from God, but I want to know someone like that. Because if I could get close to someone like that, some God like that, I think it might help me become the best version of myself. And that's our third aspect of a grander vision. Someone that helps you become the who you want to be. We all need a vision of who we are, not just what we do. There's a prophet later that comes after David and he says, it's not by might and it's not by power. Power's good, might's good, but that's not how you become the best version of yourself. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. To become the best version of yourself, you need access to someone who can fill your soul, your spirit, that your spirit needs more strength, needs more power, needs more self-control, needs more joy. You need the reservoir of your spirit filled up to become the who you were meant to be. And God said, it's by my spirit I can pour that into you. That doesn't mean your circumstances are always going to be easy. In fact, they might even get worse. The challenge level might go up. But I will pour into you what you need to become the best version of you. The version you were made and designed for. Because my spirit is now in your spirit. You invite me into your life. And I will come and forgive you of all the ways you've messed up, screwed up, haven't lived up to your own expectations. And then I'll begin to fill you up with my spirit. And like David, you won't be a perfect person. You'll be a scoundrel. But you increasingly see aspects and attributes coming out of you in the face of adversity that you know aren't coming from you. They're coming from some resource outside of you, even in difficulty. I saw an interview with a guy named Travis. Travis faced unbelievable adversity. And the way he responded, he could have become bitter, 
But instead, he found incredible joy in the most thankless of circumstances. Listen to his story. And let's see if you've tapped into a resource that can help you face adversity like this. Let's watch. Isn't that powerful? Do you have access to something that if you face adversity like that could help you become the best version of yourself, a thankful version of yourself, a hopeful version of yourself, or a bitter version of yourself? Here's my takeaway for you. What attracted the people to David was his God. Make the ultimate son of David your king. When you look at those 400 men that turned into the 37 men that turned into the three men, let me show you, he was not dealing with the cream of the crop. (laughs) Look what it says. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And here's everyone who came to David. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. This is quite a group. They're all distressed, all discontent, and all in debt. But they came to him. And he became, he, David, became their captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. But these 400 people who didn't have their act together got around David and saw him get around his God. And David would eventually have a son, a son of David, which is what Jesus is known by when he's born, the son of David, who would be the ultimate king, who didn't struggle with anger and didn't struggle with lust. He had all the grace, all the forgiveness, all the compassion, but he had the best version of himself. And he says, I want to be your king because I will give you the access to the hope that you need. You ever seen the inscription on the Statue of Liberty? It says something similar, actually, to this passage. It doesn't say, give me your best. It says, give me whoever, give me the leftovers to your country. And in a spirit of freedom, watch what we do with it. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless... Tempest toast to me, and I lift my lamp beside the golden door. It's a vision of freedom. God has a vision for freedom. Whatever you've done, whatever you struggle with, come and experience the freedom of doing it with God. I got a chance to see an interview with uh, Randall Wallace, the guy who wrote the uh, movie Braveheart. He was talking about how he discovered that story. He was over in Scotland, and while he was there, he learned about William Wallace. He's like, why have I never heard the story of this man? And he said, you know, as a screenwriter, good stories aren't things you make up. They're often stories that are given to you. And this was a story given to me. He said, and William Wallace was an incredible follower of Jesus. And his life is an incredible life of courage. And as he was writing that speech, because he didn't know exactly what he said that day as he rode his horse back and forth that inspired everyone to fight for freedom. So he said, I want to write a speech that was consistent with the history I knew, but if I was sitting there on the horse that day, I'd want to follow that guy into battle. So I wrote the speech that we all know. They can take away our rights, but they can't take away our freedom! He said, the speech I wrote was the speech that would have gotten me off the horse to go and serve and love and care for other people. He said, but what struck me most about William Wallace as I wrote that screenplay is he was an incredible, courageous example of a follower of Jesus and a warrior-like life. Do you have some battles you need to fight? Do you have some challenges you need to take on? Do you need access to resources you don't currently have? Let me pray for you that God will give you the resources you need to take on the fights that are just outside that door. Let's pray. Maybe you want to start by saying, God, forgive me. I'm a lot like David. 
And I got a lot of things that aren't right. But I invite your spirit in to make me the best version of myself. Father, help me take on the battle. Be my warrior living within my heart. And Father, we ask for each person here, whatever they're facing, whatever is waiting for them outside this door, God, you will be their courage and their shield and their tower of refuge and their strength. Fight for them as they lean on you. We're so glad you joined us this morning. We're going to continue next week in our Lion-Hearted series. We'd like to let you know before you leave today, we have a special event tonight. If you have a, a situation going on and you'd like to learn more about uh, kids in our lives and our families that have uh, mental health issues, we're having a family night tonight at 6 o'clock right here at Horizon. Chad will be speaking, and special guests from the Lindner Center of Hope will be here to discuss where that intersection between science and faith uh, meet to help our kids. Have a great afternoon.